Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Azure Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Paul Branks. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing well, Anthony. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Looking forward to our discussion. Well, I appreciate you doing it. You come very highly recommended from Mike Fulton. He's had the pleasure of working with you, and I hope working with Mike has been a pleasure for you. Uh, it, it has indeed. It's been a long-standing relationship, and uh, he's just a he's just a, a great professional. And the Asher Agency has been a, a huge partner for us, and we're uh, we're grateful that that partnership is continuing. Well, great. And I'm almost tempted to stop the interview right there. Quit while you're ahead, right? Well, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about you and your background. And Paul, we generally start on the podcast by talking about our guest's career path. My understanding, if if everything on LinkedIn is correct, it looks like you went to Taylor University. What, what I'd like you to do is tell me a little bit about what led you to the path that you pursued in college, and then talk a little bit about where you went from there. Yeah, you know, I um, I can really root back my career path all the way back to an eighth grade school assignment uh, where we were asked to write about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And uh, there were two things that I, I wrote down. Uh, I wanted to be uh, play second base for the Detroit Tigers, and I want to be a television anchor. And so um, the, the dream of playing second base for the Detroit Tigers obviously uh, it didn't work out, had no chance of working out. Uh, and so I went back to, uh, you know, to plan B, which is a, a career in television broadcasting and communications. And so my course was set uh, from eighth grade and everything I did through uh, through high school and into college was all to uh, to get the training, the education that I needed and the experience to get that first job in in broadcasting. And so uh, once I graduated, uh, that's what I pursued and uh, ended up starting out in uh, in radio and then um, took it from there. All right. Well, somewhere Lou Whitaker is breathing a sigh of relief that you didn't pursue plan A. Um, So tell me, what was appealing about that career track? Eighth eighth grade is pretty early to come to the realization that you you know what you want to do. So what what led you into the world of media and communication? Well, I think it was just the the ability to um, express yourself uh, in different ways. I was a pretty outgoing uh, kid, and um, in in, a, in in many ways, uh, sort of a show off. And I uh, I got involved in things that um, you know I got to I got to do what I loved and and um, you know really enjoyed it. And so as I thought about you know, a potential career. I wanted to get into things that allowed me to speak, to write, uh, to communicate in a variety of forms. Uh, I knew that there was, uh, um, there were a lot of opportunities in the communications world um, that were were open uh, to me and to other individuals. And so I liked the um, the flexibility of it and the different options that there were in addition to just being able to do a job that uh, you enjoyed and could impact a lot of people. All right. Well, it, it looks like your career path, even though your original interest was in broadcast journalism, it looks like you never really went in that direction. Can you talk a little bit about why you pivoted and where you pivoted to? Yeah, I think, um, you know, after after college, I, I did have a couple of radio jobs and um, and started working while I was in radio part-time with uh, the NBC affiliate in Fort Wayne. 
and did some videography work and some reporting and um, uh, some set pieces uh, there. And then, you know, like uh, like a lot of people, uh, life changes, things change. Uh, I got married. I had started a family and uh, really enjoyed my time in broadcasting, but, you know, was looking over the long term on what I wanted to do both for uh, my career goals, uh, but also for uh, for the benefit of my of my family. So um, I once I was able to achieve some of the things I wanted to achieve in, in television news, uh, I decided I wanted to try uh, to try the other side. And so I pursued um, other opportunities that allowed me to work on the corporate communications, the public relations uh, side of things. And so uh, ended up uh, making the jump by working in uh, uh, in politics for a bit as a press secretary. And then from there, I got into uh, real, real corporate communications with the Indiana Association of Realtors as their director of communications. And then from there, it was just pursuing uh, you know, the me next best opportunity that allowed me to expand my experience and my skills. Uh, and so I've been very fortunate uh, to steal a line from the Beatles. It's been a long and winding road, <laughs> but uh, I don't regret any of my stops because I was able to learn something new uh, and expand my skills and take on more and more responsibility. So it's it's been a great ride. Yeah, and some really prestigious names among the stops along the way. Anthem, One America, some pretty big, powerful, uh, complex organizations. I'm sure that there were a lot of lessons learned there along the way. Well, well, let's talk about the work you're doing today for the American College of Sports Medicine. It looks like you've been there for about eight years. Is that correct? Yeah, eight and a half, sure. So what led you into that position? What was your entree into that world? Well, uh, you know, I worked in both the nonprofit and the for-profit world over the course of my career. And I really, as I got further into my career, I got to the point where, you know, I really could look for jobs that I, I wanted to do, uh, not that I needed to do. You know, through most of your career, you're looking, like I said, for the next best opportunity, uh, you're looking to take on more responsibility. You're looking to, you know, um, uh, achieve different things in your career. And so for the majority of my career, that's what I was doing. Uh, but when it came to the American College of Sports Medicine, it was an opportunity where I, I decided I, I loved working for member associations. I loved the ability to focus on the organization's vision and mission and being, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a sports fan, uh, I was really uh, drawn to the nature of what the organization did in terms of exercise science and sports medicine. And uh, it, was, it was very attractive to me. And to be able to, uh, to lead a communications team uh, and then a marketing team uh, for this organization was just, uh, it was just very appealing. And um, and so uh, I accepted the job and, and haven't looked back and I've enjoyed every minute of it because again, uh, even this far into my career, it has given me the opportunity to continue to learn new things, uh, expand my skill set, and be exposed to different parts of the marketing communications uh, profession uh, that I haven't uh, that I haven't seen before. So 
Um, Paul, Asher, as you mentioned, has had the pleasure of working with the American College of Sports Medicine now for, for a few years. But for those who may be unfamiliar with the organization, tell us a little bit about what um, ACSM does, what the mission is, and, and how you fit into that in your role. Yeah, so the American College of Sports Medicine is the largest member association of its kind in, in the world. Uh, founded in 1954, uh, it has grown exponentially over the last several decades, uh, starting out, as the name would indicate, as a, as a U.S.-based organization, but now we've expanded around the world to some uh, 100 countries. Uh, so we have a, 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 an international reach, but the, the mission of our organization is really about taking scientific research and applying it to different settings, whether it be, you know, the bedside or whether it be in public health or whether it be in um, taking the research and, and uh, educating the next generation of researchers or um, uh, exercise uh, physiologists. Uh, we, our organization really from, from start to finish, it's really a sort of a, a, a linear process where our members are in the world of discovery and finding new ways to exercise uh, safely, uh, new ways to be able to impact the quality of, of a person's life through exercise, uh, look new ways to ensure uh, athlete safety or recovery, uh, all the way to how do we how do we find new ways to use exercise to help people recover from accidents or illnesses or maintain uh, their health while dealing with chronic disease. And so there's really a broad, reach broad spectrum of areas that our organization and our members really impact in a positive way, um, including uh, programs that help to ensure safety and health of young, uh, young athletes all the way to uh, senior citizens who need to remain active. So how do we help individuals across the lifespan know the best way to find health and quality of life through exercise. So, Paul, how has that work changed over the course of the last few years? You know, you have the, something that's not a, you know, not an immediate sea change, but you have an aging population. You have, you know, high incidence of chronic disease. You have a, a more sedentary lifestyle. You know, what one of the things that COVID did is allowed us to get uh, unhealthy food from anywhere at any time without moving much. So we're we're becoming a little more sedentary, much to our peril. How has the work changed at all, if at all, over the course of the last few years? Well, I think we've really had to, um, you know, amp up our efforts to continue to communicate the same messages. Uh, the message really hasn't changed over the last three years. It's really about reinforcing or reminding people that there are different ways to achieve good health or better health. And even in the case of COVID, you know, we found that exercise, regular exercise, helps 
contribute to better health or the maintenance of health in, in a variety of ways. And even through the COVID pandemic, it was clear that those who were healthier as a result of, of regular exercise were in, in many cases able to, to ward off uh, uh, viruses of, of all kind or sicknesses of all kind just because of uh, you know better health helps contribute to a better immune system. And so through the pandemic and particularly with our uh, fitness index at that time, you know we were just really continuing the drumbeat of how important it is to remain physically active at all times and in all circumstances, uh, both now and in the future. Physical activity and exercise is an investment um, in in your future. And regardless of one's um, current health situation, there is you know virtually no situation where it wouldn't be beneficial um, to be physically active in some way. So movement is important. We continue to communicate that message. Our members are continuing at the work of uh, researching. Uh, new ways, finding more evidence uh, of ways that um, we can, again, apply that knowledge uh, in people's lives on a regular basis. So you mentioned the American Fitness Index, um, Paul. Tell us a little bit about what that study seeks to to uncover, how it's conducted, and, and how you disseminate that information. Yeah, so the American Fitness Index is uh, a program, an initiative, a strategic health in initiative that we launched uh, in 2007. And the purpose of the Fitness Index is to gather uh, the data uh, from a variety of sources that captures more than 30 uh, health indicators, uh, both personal and, uh, and in communities that can be put together in a ranking, an index ranking of the 100 largest cities uh, in the country that helps cities, getting back to the real point of the fitness index, is really to equip cities and city leaders to understand the general fitness of their community and ways that they can help improve programs and infrastructure to help their citizens stay active be active and contribute to their to their overall health. And so the rankings, uh, which we distribute in a release uh, once a year, really gives uh, the nation and the uh, cities on the list an idea of where they stand, where they're doing well, and where they can improve. And so we, it's really the process of, because we are a research organization, is, is providing the data to help cities and individuals understand better ways to health. So Paul, what's an example, either something that's actually been put in place or something that could be put in place by a city in response to the index, something that a, a city could do to encourage better health among its residents? Yeah, we've worked over the course of, uh, of several years, we've worked with different cities who have wanted to, to work with us uh, based on the data in the index to put together programs uh, within their communities that help them to, to improve and to hopefully move up 
uh, in their rankings. And so, you know, looking at the indicators, and that's why with more than 30 indicators, you really have a lot of segmentation that you can tap into to say, hey, you know what, we've got we've got an issue with obesity in our community. So um, that's an area that we really want to to hone in on. And so how can we pull together community leaders, um, policymakers, government leaders, and and others to to work together in a collaborative way to put together programs and opportunities and assistance to get individuals to be more active and so that those numbers of of, uh, of those obesity numbers can be can be reduced in their communities so we've seen uh, uh, cities put together plans and programs and working with their uh, their city officials to find ways to be able to make that happen now it's not a it's not a it's not an easy thing to do uh, a lot of the things that are required from an infrastructure uh, standpoint, for example, um, you know, require a, fina a financial investment, and and that's difficult these days. Um, but it it does take collaboration. It does take uh, a lot of forethought, a lot of planning, um, a lot of you know, um, intensive thought and decision making in order to make to make strides. But what we want to do again is to provide the data and the encouragement uh, to these cities and city leaders to take at least the first step uh, toward better health uh, and fitness. Well, and, and what impresses me about it is it's data that allows leaders to see this as an investment instead of a cost to say, you know, if we don't do something about it, and, and it looks like from a glance at the latest index, Indiana has a lot of work to do, but it looks like it gives leaders the chance to say, okay, we can either, you know, pay now or pay later in terms of the cost of chronic disease and, and illness among our population, or we can make some investments now that make it a little easier, a little safer, a little more accessible for people to stay active. Yeah, and I don't think it's, um, I, I think, you know, people understand, cities, community leaders, those that uh, have a stake in this, understand the importance of it. Uh, I don't think that's, I think that, I don't think that's the issue. I think everybody can understand, particularly at the city, city level, that if we have a livable community that's allows encourages inspires its citizens to stay active whether it's bike paths whether it's access to parks uh, whether it's uh, fitness uh, fitness uh, opportunities uh, businesses or it's um, you know little league or whatever the case may be uh, i don't think the issue is people don't believe or understand how important that is to a community it's just a matter of being able to have the ability to work together uh, to put a stake in the ground uh, among a lot of other priorities that they're dealing with to say, you know, we're going to we're going to commit ourselves to this over the long term because we do see the benefit. We do see the benefit of having a livable community. We do see the benefit on, um, you know, property values. We do see the benefit of drawing, you know, new business into a town uh, if it has these these attributes. 
that contribute to a to a livable community. So it is important. I think people understand that there's just a lot of challenges to it, and it just you know we're we're trying to help these cities deal with these challenges by giving them the data that they need and the a vision for what can be possible if uh, positive steps are taken. Well, the, the index is just part of the work you do. It's an important part of it. What else has has consumed your attention recently? I know you recently just got a promotion, so that's obviously taking up a lot of your time is learning the new job. Congratulations on that. What Thank are you. some of the other things that are at the top of your to-do list that are taking up most of your bandwidth these days? Yeah, so, uh, you know, in my role uh, in, in communications and, and, you know, marketing as well, you know we're a we're a shared service, a shared resource within our organization. And so, getting back to our earlier conversation, you know, one of the things that I liked about even getting into this profession uh, remains true today. It's I I get to be involved in a lot of different things. Never get bored. There's always a great deal of variety. You get to get your hands in, you know, get your hands in everything. And and I like that part of it because it keeps the job you know very exciting, keeps you energized. Uh, and you're never bored. So, uh, so in that role and in my role now, the same is is true. We we basically serve as an internal agency for our organization. So we provide communications uh, strategy and consultation, uh, everything from strategy all the way down to implementation. So we support every organization within uh, within ACSM, uh, whether they're revenue generating or not. Uh, every department has its respective goals that tie to operating objectives and the strategy of the organization. And so much of what we do is to help support those different departments in the achievement of their goals, because ultimately, if we help them achieve their goals, the organization will will achieve its goals. So we work with uh, our membership area. We work in executive communications to ensure that our organization is uh, in the loop, is aware of where our organization is going. We encourage uh, two-way communications in that. Um, we have uh, a number of committees and committee members that are active participants uh, within our organization that we're communicating to on a regular basis. We're responsible for internal communications, uh, for our staff communications. Uh, it's critical that our staff um, have what they need, uh, both in knowledge, uh, in information, in uh, a clear view of where we're headed, uh, that they're uh, equipped to do their job, that they um, uh, not only enjoy their job, but are engaged in doing the work in an enthusiastic way. That's critically important to the success of an organization. So uh, the communications department is responsible for ensuring that our um, our staff are equipped with the information that they need to uh, to do their jobs. That line of sight uh, to the vision of the organization is very clear and what their role uh, in that is clear. And then there's the external side of it. So we're responsible for um, public relations and media relations and telling the ACSM story to our external audiences. We have a number of partnerships with uh, like-minded uh, organizations who are committed to the same thing. And so we have a we have a mutual vision in what we're trying to accomplish. And so 
uh, we work with these partners to make sure that we're helping one another to achieve our ultimate goal, which is to keep people moving so that they're um, really experiencing the benefits of uh, physical activity and exercise, that they're safe while they do it, and that they're achieving what they want to achieve uh, in, in whatever area of life uh, they're involved with. So we uh, we tell we tell our story to uh, to the media and to the public. We're helping to communicate um, our members' research. We have several scientific journals that uh, we publish that publishes the work of our members and others. And so as we do that, we want to make sure that we're sharing that research because again, it's all about the application. Uh, we want to make sure that we're sharing that as broadly as we can. And so, we help our members um, uh, promote their work and advance the science that they're um, uh, that they're uh, contributing to um, to our individuals and to communities. So it's um, we really uh, are involved in a lot in telling telling our story internally and externally. And so it's uh, it's an enjoyable job and it keeps us busy and um, uh, we're really having a good time. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of variety. And if you're looking for something to do, just turn to the left and there's another task. So congrats on the new job. Well, Paul, I want to pivot to uh, a few final questions. Um, And this is what I call the quick hit part of the show, although it doesn't necessarily need to be quick, concise answers, although it often goes that way. I want to start with a question about your career. What's the one best piece of advice you have for others in the communications field, in the marketing field, or really in any field when it comes to career success and fulfillment? What's the one thing you've learned that you'd like to pass along? Yeah, I would say to those that are just starting out uh, in their career, jump right in, get as much exposure as possible to uh, the different functions within, uh, you know, in my case, marketing and communications. Uh, it's uh, it's the baptism by fire uh, idea. Uh, that's the way I started, and um, you know it can be crazy and it can be hectic, but once you dive in and you get that exposure to all the possibilities, how marketing and communications work. Because again, even within marketing and communications, there's so many different specialty areas you can pursue, and so you're not really going to know that until you jump in and get that exposure. So you know, earlier in your career, you know, don't be afraid of, you know, of the unknown. Get yourself out there, be willing to work hard and to get that exposure, uh, volunteer to take on new responsibilities, but you really need to get that big picture to get a sense for what you want to do with your career, both in the short term and the long term. So I would encourage people to be you know, to be assertive and to get as much experience as you can as quickly as you can and allow that to really to really fuel your passion for what you ultimately want to do down the road. And that can take you in a lot of different ways. You could have a very specific uh, path that you want to take, say, in social media, uh, or you may have a, a broader view or, uh, you know, bigger goals of, you know, uh, being a manager, a supervisor, a director. Uh, overseeing a whole department. Well, the best way to do that is to make sure that you get as much experience in all these different areas as possible so you have a knowledge of how that works. And if you do that, then you'll be very well positioned uh, down the road to pursue what you really are passionate about. 
Well, I think that's a great point. You know, a lot of people are in their career, they kind of wait for, you know, the right time to come. They wait until they're ready. It sounds like what you're saying is the best way to get ready is to just jump in. That's going to give you experience and then you'll be equipped for the next opportunity. But if you just sit on the sidelines, you're not going to get very far. Yeah, and I, I, I totally I totally agree with that. And, and you know, there's, a, there's an epiphany that I had about mid-career uh, that I've really tried to apply even now, which is, you know, pursue the things that make sense, but be open to the things that don't. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you've got an idea of what you what you want to do. You have the desire, you have the talent, you have the skill to do that. And so you might pursue that based on what you know, but be open to things that maybe you haven't thought about before. You know, maybe you are focused on this particular function, but if you have an opportunity to add to that or to take a position that maybe you really hadn't thought about, but is going to open the door to a lot of other possibilities, you know, be open to things that maybe don't make sense from your your way of thinking at this point in time, but don't don't limit yourself, you know, keep keep the opportunities open, because, again, the more experience you can get, the more you can build your skills, uh, the better off you're going to be. Well, that's really good advice. So the next question I have, Paul, is about the work that you do, and it could be your organization. It could be what you do every day. What's a myth or misconception that you want to clear up or maybe something that is underappreciated that you'd like to amplify about your work or the organization you work for? Well, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's it's the the critical role that the marketing communications team has within an organization. You know, I've I've had a long career and I have been able to see that over time, organizations in general have really grasped the value that marketing and communications professionals bring to an organization. I think in a lot of organizations back in the day, that really wasn't the case. Uh, I think that there was a perception that, you know, marketing and communications were more of a more of a nice to have, not a have to have. Well, as we seeing as we have think, seen things progress over time, and I've I've seen a lot of change uh, in marketing communications over the course of my my career, a lot of adapting to new technology, new ways to communicate, and it's all been it's all been very good. But as things have in, in evolved, and as organizations have had to evolve themselves in order to just compete and in some cases survive through things like pandemics. Uh, they're really starting to understand that it is critical to have skills and expertise in the area of marketing and communications that are fundamental, foundational to the success of the organization. And the American College of Sports Medicine, I have seen that in very real terms, that there is a recognition and appreciation for what we can bring to our organization. And I, I think that is not just true at ACSM, but in case there are still some remnants of those who might have that, um, have that perception, I at least want those that are working in the profession now or maybe early in their careers to know this is a critical role 
And because of this thing now that we have access to all kinds of data, we can actually demonstrate the value of what we do uh, over and over again. And so we've got, you know, we've got the validation uh, more now than ever uh, that we've had even through uh, data and metrics. And so that's what I would say. All right. Well, yeah. So making sure that your marketing communication folks are at the table when decisions are being made, helping influence those decisions. All right. Well, that's that's good news for me as a marketing communication person. So I love that. Absolutely. advice. Absolutely. All right. The, the last question I have for you, Paul, has to do again with your work. But this time what I'm looking for, and this is a little bit of a wild card. I get a lot of different answers to this question, but I'm looking for a tool, a, a tip, a trick, a hack, something you use in your work that you rely on that you think think deserves to be mentioned. Now, I've had people say everything from Google, which is pretty simple. We take it for granted, but it's a great tool. I've had other people talk about apps. What's the one thing for you that you rely on in your work every day that you, thinks, you think is worthy of, of a mention? Well, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, Anthony, but you know, as I, as I, as I think about that, you know, to me, it is, you know, the old school is the new school. Okay. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, as as I said, I've seen a lot of change in marketing communications over the years. When I started my career, there was no email, there was no uh, there was no uh, website, uh, there was no social media. So so I've seen a lot of change. I've adapted to it. I've been able to incorporate these different tools into how i how i handle marketing and communications and it's been and it's been fantastic and we obviously can be very effective but you know at the end of the day it's interesting how you know people thought you know print was going to be dead people thought that email was going to be a thing of the past and and what we're finding is that that's not exactly true and it's interesting as we've done the research and as we've looked how effective target emails are to to what we do and and really if you dial that back a little bit what it what it continues to be about is audience segmentation and targeting of key audiences and so that that fundamentals remains true now we do have a lot of tools on how we can do that more effectively you know we do have dynamic content we do have social media. We have paid social media. I think, and again, this isn't this isn't going to be earth shattering, but I think getting back to the tool, one of the things that we've really invested in hard over the last couple of years is is digital advertising mm -hmm. for a lot of the same reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, that was something that we had to slowly come over because we were sure. doing social media. Yeah. You know, we were we were able to reach some of our audiences through social media, but you know, as as digital advertising grew, you know, we really understood that, you know, this is the way that we can really, really get because, you know, as a membership organization, we have a captured audience. It's just it's the external audiences. It's the potential members. It's the potential certified professionals that that we want to reach. And so how do we do that? That universe is very large. Well, we can do that through through digital advertising. And so We've really invested a lot in that uh, recently, and we've seen that we've seen the benefits of that. Um, so, again, I just want to reinforce that, you know, while we look for new ways to do things and new tools, 
don't forget the things that still work and the things that have been enhanced over time uh, in terms of the ways that we can uh, communicate and market. And then, and then finally, um, you know, along the same lines, that this is less about a tool and more of just about, you know, how we how we behave. But, you know, having conversations with individuals about projects, about their needs, about their goals. You know, it's very easy now, particularly post-pandemic, as everybody's gone home, we're working, you know, through Teams or Zoom or something else. You know, we're virtual um, or we're just, you know, we're just DMing people, we're messaging people, you know. And, and what I found is, while that's important and it plays a role and we can be very efficient that way, it's still critically important for marketing and communication professionals to collaborate with other departments, the people that we support, and to have con actual conversations to really understand. And, and, and now it's easier now to, you know, to get together uh, occasionally, to sit down face to face and talk about, you know, what are your needs? What are your goals? What are we trying to accomplish? How can we do that together? And um, that, that still remains a critical part of how we can how we can do our jobs in an effective way uh, to do our jobs, and we've been able to see the the positive results of that. Yeah, I think that's an important takeaway: is that you know we have more ways of doing the work than we've ever had, and while face to face communication isn't always the best way, and while we're certainly glad to have alternatives, one of the things we've learned over the past couple of years is it definitely has its place, and it has a quality that other things just can't replace. Um, you know, I I know for the first time ever. Asher did a team retreat that was everyone in the same place at the same time. And we'd never done that before. But I think, you know, the outcome of the pandemic was almost a renewed sense of urgency mm -hmm. about maybe we don't do that as frequently, but when we do it, it's got to be for the most important conversations. We have to take it seriously. So I, I think what I hear you saying, and I think it's it's a great takeaway, is that use all the tools, but remember that the, the where we're going is where we've always tried to go. It's about great storytelling. It's about connection. It's about understanding the audience. It's about targeting the right audience. And one of the ways you can do that that's irreplaceable is just by having conversations, ideally face-to-face -face conversations. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, you summed it up very well. And, and, and I would just add back to the tools is, you know, the tools are great, um, but, you know, I, I think we do have to be cognizant of the fact that we might be over-tooled. Yeah. You know, we've we've got so many options and so many tools and, you know, there's all kinds of project management uh, programs and software and, you know, organizations can end up with multiple versions of that. And everybody's yeah. looking, everybody's using something different. And, and you know, what we're, what we're finding now is now we got to consolidate, you know, we got to, yeah. we got to be, efficiency is a big word for us now. We have to be efficient. And what we're doing, that means we have to start, you know, we have to decide what tools are we going to use and let's use those, let's use those well. Um, and so it's, but it's, it's all part of change, you know, Anthony, it's just new, new things are coming all the time, new technology, new tools, uh, new opportunities. And so there's, I think there's often times it's like, we got to keep up. So we have to jump in and we have to use yeah. everything that comes out. And, yeah. um, you know, it's it's probably not the case because what you want to do is you want to find the things that work for you and then use those really well uh, and not in a half-hearted way. You don't want to spread yourself too thin. 
Sure, sure. Well, I'm from a similar vintage. I remember a time when if I wanted to communicate with someone, it was face-to-face, -face, phone call, or mail. And we certainly have moved well beyond that in some ways that are really good and in some ways that present real challenges. So, right. um, you know, it's it's a different day and we have to adapt, but we also have to remember what's most important. And that is, you know, just the connection. You can do that in a number of different ways. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the opportunity to do this and us having the chance to talk in more depth. It's been great getting to know you and thanks for sharing your story with our audience. Well, thanks for having me, Anthony. This has been a lot of fun. I, I've enjoyed it and I appreciate uh, talking to you and uh, wish you and, uh, and everyone well. Well, thank you. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next time with another great guest and we hope you'll join us then.